Hi again, Michael Forward back with you as uh, we continue Rough Reads. Maybe wondering why I call this Rough Reads. Well, basically, it's me reading rough drafts, stuff that I wrote. Uh, we're continuing with uh, the story of both uh, Metal Puppets and Away with the Fairies. It's been a few weeks since I actually uploaded the last episode, but I had some stuff going on kind of in the background of my life that I had to take care of before I got back to uh, working on this project. Hopefully, maybe do a few more regular updates over the next little while, at least until I reach the end of uh, what I actually had written for both these stories. And I'm kind of doing some uh, editing on the fly as I'm, I'm reading these stories because I'm running into uh, sentences and stuff like that that aren't the easiest to uh, uh, translate into an audiobook-type format. Like I said, I'm not a professional writer, so I don't uh, make any claims of being an excellent storyteller or anything like that. Uh, thank you so much for checking out this second episode, and uh, we're going to open up with some more Metal Puppets. Thanks for listening. Metal Puppets, Chapter 3, Sunset. They decided this time they were going to build a pony. The sisters began to work in silence. Man collected the larger pieces of scrap into a pile and began to form a shell for their new construct. She began to imagine the shape and body of a pony. The metal began to stretch and glow, flowing, and reforming itself into an equine shape. Val removed a book from her backpack and began to study, mumbling pony, pony, as she flipped through the pages. Have you tried looking under P, man quipped. Val shot her sister a sour look before flipping pages again. She slammed the tip of her finger onto a page triumphantly shortly thereafter. Got it! Val began assembling the smaller bits of metal and some of the gears that remained on the ground. She picked up each piece, reforming gears into different shapes and sizes with different numbers of teeth. Val looked to her sister, who was standing by the construct shell, waiting patiently for her to finish. I need a rod, Val said, holding her hands about two feet apart. About this long and about as wide as your finger. Man frowned as she looked around the field. Between the two sisters, most of the metallic bits of debris had been picked up and repurposed already. I'll have to pull some material from the shell. It's going to be a lot flimsier than usual. The two picked up what remaining scraps they could, and Man brought them over to the metallic shell of the pony. She held the scraps of metal with her hand against the body of the pony and began to imagine a rod the shape and size of Val's specifications. As the rod emerged from the body of the pony, Val could see the metal skin of the construct begin to thin. She would have to be careful with her gear placement, or the construct would shake apart. Man took the newly created rod and handed it to her sister. This okay? Val inspected the rod and briefly checked her book. It'll do. They carried Val's clockwork pieces over to the shell of the pony. Man had left gaps in the skin so Val would be able to see inside and place her gears. Val began to concentrate, and the gears lifted out of the pile and began to insert themselves into the body of the construct. Once in a while, Val's hands would flick out to make adjustments to the pieces as they came together. About the only thing that had survived the crash pretty much intact was the tail of the dragon. Man lifted it with her mind and brought it over to the rear of the metallic pony. Of all the things that was wrong with the flying construct, one of the things they got right was using the tip of the tail as the wedge of a plow. Using rope, they connected the wedge of the plow to the pony's body. After they were both satisfied that everything was to their liking, the two girls nodded to each other, and Val gave a little flick of her wrist, putting the gears that occupied the pony into action. Man grabbed the two handles of the plow and began to follow along behind the pony, guiding the plow. 
As the pony trot along, the wedge cut straight furrows into the soft earth. When the pony reached one end of the field, Val would flick her wrist to reset some of the gears, and the pony would turn around to begin working another row, man following behind. The sun hung very low in the sky when the last few feet of earth were tilled. Metal Puppets Chapter 4 Argument When the girls finished their work and made their way to the house, the farmer made another attempt to get the sisters to spend the night. Man politely brushed aside the offer. Shaking her head, the farmer insisted that she at least put together a basket of food for the girls to take with them on the road. You don't really need to do this, said Man, as she watched the farmer fill a small basket with goods. Our pay is plenty. The farmer huffed as she attempted to stuff another bottle of preserves into the already overflowing basket. I won't have it said that Medea sent two young girls out on the road without something to eat. It was twilight when Man and Val finally got on the road leading away from the farmhouse. They walked in silence as the shadows of the night grew longer. They trudged along, passing by field after field until the moon had risen high in the night sky. One night wouldn't have killed us, you know, Val said, finally breaking the silence. I know we have a schedule, but we weren't that far behind. Man stopped in her tracks and surveyed the surrounding land. She removed her pack and began to move to the side of the road. We'll spend the night here. Val tailed along behind her sister. You can't keep ignoring me, you know. Doyle was two years ago. Two. Man sighed as she began to spread out her bedroll. Val, we can't keep having this conversation. We will keep having this conversation until you realize how stupid you're being. Val, what did we promise each other when we left Doyle? Val rolled her eyes. Come on, don't make me say it. Man remained silent as she began to gather tinder to light a fire. Fine, Val shouted, getting further annoyed. We stick together and we keep moving. Happy now? Man looked up from the pile of twigs and logs that would serve as a campfire. She locked eyes with her sister. And why do we do that? Because last time, we almost died when we stayed in one place. Val sighed and began to unpack her things. Man had built a fire to a nice height by the time she was finished. The dragon was a good idea, Man said, adding more fuel to the blaze. I just don't think I'm ready for something that complex yet. Val brightened seemingly forgetting the previous conversation. See, I told you, you just need to practice more. You grew up with your power, man said, and this is all still very weird and very alien to me. Val stood up and slapped her sister on the back. Don't worry, I'll keep showing you the ropes. I know exactly what I'm doing. Away with the fairies, chapter three, laid out on a cold table. Content that her plan was a good one, Anna gathered the lower portions of her dress and settled down on the stump. The stump was actually quite comfortable. It was almost cathartic to sit on the very thing that was causing her frustration just moments ago. Anna closed her eyes and listened to the sound of the wind rustling through the trees, carrying with it the faint sound of the ocean just a few miles away. Anna waited, certain that at any moment she would hear her mother's voice calling her name, or maybe the laughter of small children that would use these woods as a fortress when they played their silly imaginary games. She waited. No worried motherly voice, nor delighted cries of children playing ever came. There was only the wind, the trees, the path, and the stump. Anna waited patiently. She was sure a good two hours had passed since she left the church with Mary. No doubt her mother had walked the entire length of the pathway from the house and was probably worried sick. 
Life in the village was fairly safe. Residents never locked their doors. But it wasn't unknown for tragedy to strike from time to time. Last year, a young boy, James, had gone missing. He had last been seen playing alone on the shoreline. A few days later, a fisherman found his remains, bloated, bruised, and tangled up in the rope of a lobster trap. By coincidence, a doctor had arrived recently on the coastal boat and was administering booster shots to children. Anna had been volunteering at the clinic. Several men from the village had brought the boy's body to the doctor to try to get an expert opinion about what happened. When the boy's body was brought into the clinic, Anna was asked to leave. She refused. She was going to be a nurse. She was going to see worse than this. The doctor wasn't very long examining the body until he came upon a large bruise on the boy's forehead. He quickly decided that the boy was probably playing on a rock, had slipped, knocked himself out, and had drowned when the tide came in. Anna stood back, watching the doctor perform his procedure. She could see the poor boy James, a boy that she had gone to school with, laid out cold on the table. She could see the doctor with his gloves and mask touch various parts of the body, twisting, turning, and examining it in a clinical fashion. Would that be her fate? Would she end up on a cold table, being poked and prodded by some stranger, gazing down in morbid curiosity? It was the sound of a tea kettle that brought her back to reality. Chapter 4 Memory of Home The Approaching Storm It was very distant at first. It was almost a whisper on the wind. And a doubt she actually heard anything first. She cupped her hand to her ear and cocked her head and held her breath. Silence for a few moments. And then she heard it again. This time a little louder and a little more distinct. There was no doubt the whistle of a kettle. Throughout the course of her life, Anna had heard that sound hundreds, if not thousands of times. That sound brought back so many memories. She could see clearly in her mind's eyes her father poking around in the kitchen on a fall morning, opening up the squeaky grated door of the stove, and then placing firewood within, building a fire to chase away the chill of the fall air. She could almost hear the sound of water sloshing into a metal container, the clack of the kettle being placed onto the top of the range. And after a few minutes, the sound of the water boiling, and then a whistle. It was a friendly sound, a familiar sound, a sound that gave her hope. The sound continued for a few moments, and then, silence. Anna, hand still to her ear, waited breathlessly. Did she miss here? Did she fall asleep and dream of home? All she could hear now was the sound of the wind blowing through the trees. Was her mind trying to create something that wasn't really there? And there it was again. This time it was louder. The kettle was coming closer, and it was boiling in a strange way. Why wasn't the whistle a constant drone like it should be? When her parents made tea, the kettle would sing constantly until it was removed from the heat. Why was this one starting and stopping? Something was very odd. Anna stood now, facing where the sand was coming from. She squinted, gazing into the tree line, looking for some sign of movement. Again a whistle this time joined by the rustle of branches and the snapping of twigs. There was no doubt now, something was coming towards her. She swept her eyes quickly over the ground, looking for something to defend herself with. Anna had enough strangeness for one day, and her guard was up. She would be prepared for whatever was coming. Another rustle, and another whistle. This one driving a small flock of birds into the sky. Finally, she spotted a large stick, about as long as she was tall 
She held it in front of her defensively, knuckles white. How silly I must look, she mused. I'm probably about to be rescued, and they're going to find me here in my Sunday best, ready for combat. There was one more whistle. It was only a few feet away now. Whatever it was, it had arrived. <laughs>